Michael Vonnen. Welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek, and in this video I want to talk about what I think are the top 10 feats or achievements by characters in Tolkien's Legendarium. This spans all three ages of Middle-earth, although nothing really pops up in the second age in this list, uh, but I go back to very early all the way through the end of the Lord of the Rings, so covering a lot of different material if you haven't read the Silmarillion or or Lord of the Rings for that matter. Spoilers on this list, obviously, so without further ado, let's get started. Coming in at number 10 on my list, but by far not not the most, not the least important, but arguably the least, which really hard to peg this one, to be honest, but it's not as impressive as some of the other ones, at least on its face, is the creation of the Silmarils by Feanor before the elves return to Middle-earth to fight Morgoth. Of course, this is in the Silmarillion, and the, the achievement itself is obviously a very great one because it's considered, even by the Valar, to be a very profound achievement of skill and craftsmanship by Feanor. And Feanor himself says, I can't even repeat this. I, I put so much effort and so much of my skill into this one act of, of skill that I can't do it again. There's no way I can do it again. So arguably it could be at the top of the list. It's really hard to rank some of these. I put it at the bottom mainly because a lot of the ones that I put higher are very obviously very, very, very impressive feats of either skill or endurance or whatever they are. So um, this list is not necessarily meant to be a 100%. This is the best. This is the least impressive. I just put this one here at the bottom because it's kind of hard to peg it, but it definitely belongs on the list. So that's number 10. Let's move to number 9. Moving into some combat-related uh, achievements, Merry and Eowyn versus the Witch King. The destruction of the Witch King is a hugely important event of its own right in the War of the Ring because he's the leader of the Nazgul. He is more terrifying than any of the other Nazgul, more powerful. He is essentially Sauron's lieutenant uh, in terms of the war. And the fact that Merry and Eowyn are able to take him out is pretty impressive. I mean, Eowyn presumably has at least some skill with weapons and whatnot. Merry has basically none. I mean, he's, he's a young hobbit who's never fought in a battle in his life, but he has the courage which by itself is an amazing feat because, remember, the Nazgul inspire fear and terror in anybody that they're even close to. Uh, but he has the courage to stab the Witch King in the back of the knee, and then Eowyn, taking advantage of the opportunity, stabs him in the face, and there goes the Witch King. It's an interesting story, too, because in the book, as opposed to Peter Jackson's movies, the, the sequence of events goes down a little bit different, and I'll do a later video on how the differences are really important, but that's kind of just a teaser for an upcoming video. I'm not going to get into detail here, but that's number nine. Number eight, Baron recovers a Silmaril from Morgoth. Again, this is one that could arguably be ranked much higher. Again, it's just really hard to peg because some of these are just, it's hard to say because he does it with the help of Luthien, who is half-elf, half Maya, because her mother is a one of the Maiar, one of the lesser class of angels that entered Middle-earth, um, or Arda, I should say, technically, uh, but she actually entered Middle-earth itself and lived there. 
So it's hard to say exactly how impressive it is because Baron and Luthien together managed to do something that's obviously very impressive. None of the armies of the elves could ever accomplish it. Um, but it's not as impressive as it maybe could be because some of it's just due to Morgoth being stupid. Um, all the same, it's still, you know, a, a worthy feat that deserves a spot on any list of achievements in Middle-earth. You know, you're taking back a very coveted jewel from the iron crown of essentially the devil of the, of Tolkien's world. So it's a really big deal, and that's why it's on the list. Again, it's just really hard to peg where it should go, but it definitely deserved to be up there. So number eight is done. Moving on to number seven. Number seven is Aragorn confronts Sauron in the Palantir. This is another one where a spoiler is in order if you've only seen the movies and not read the books because the way this happens is a little different so I have to give a little explanation. Um, in the movie you see him confront Sauron right before they go off to Mordor to actually bang on his doors and say here we are come get us. In the book it happens much earlier right after the Battle of Helm's actually not right after the Battle of Helm's Deep after they've recovered the Palantir from Saruman and returned to Helm's Deep Aragorn takes the Palantir and openly confronts Sauron, shows him who he is by revealing the Sword of Elendil, and essentially wrests control of the Palantir for himself so that he can use it to find out what he needs to know. And that has other implications for the story that don't really translate over into the book because the in the movie, Elrond tells him that there's ships coming in the book. It's... Aragorn finds out the black ships are coming by looking into the Palantir. Anyway, the main point is he takes control of the Palantir from Sauron, who is a very, very powerful character, obviously, and does it in a way that strikes fear into, the, into Sauron such that he accelerates his plans for war and a lot of other events follow from that. But it's a very important event and one that obviously took a toll on Aragorn because it says that after he did it, Legolas and Gimli noticed that he was very pale, drawn, haggard. He looked like he hadn't slept all night. So it obviously took a lot of force of will and not to mention courage. So that's why it makes it to number seven on my list. Number six, the chase of the three hunters, namely Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas. Uh, after the uh, Merry and Pippin are captured by the orcs, of course, they chase them down and you don't really understand as much of this from the movie as you do in the book. Again, it's another one of those differences that it's just leaves out some information in the movie. But in the conversation that they have with Eomer when they, when they meet him in Rohan, it becomes clear that they have traveled a huge distance in a very short amount of time, largely made possible due to the fact that they had some of the Limbus from, that was given to them by Galadriel uh, still, so that allowed them to keep going long after a normal human and eating normal food wouldn't have been able to go. But the main point is they traveled a huge distance in a very short amount of time trying to catch up to the Urukai. And Eomer is so amazed that he actually gives Aragorn a new nickname on the spot and calls him Wingfoot. He says, Strider is not a good enough name for you. I call you Wingfoot. Now I'm paraphrasing there. That's not a direct quote, so don't criticize me. But the main point is it's a huge feat of endurance, and I think it definitely deserves to be up there, and it's 
not only is it fueled by Limbus, obviously, it's also fueled by their, you know, their love for the hobbits and their desire to rescue them. So it's a major event. And that's number six. Continuing a trend with Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli, we also have the Paths of the Dead. Now, the Paths of the Dead isn't a test of endurance, but it is a test of willpower because you definitely get the idea to a lesser degree in the movie, but a greater degree in the book. In fact, in the book, it's kind of explicit that it's nigh impossible to withstand the sheer dread of the Paths of the Dead for any normal person. In the book, Tolkien actually says only Aragorn, his company, and Legolas and Gimli could have done it. Legolas, of course, is not afraid of the dead so much because being an elf, he kind of lives half in the spirit world and half in the physical world. Again, that's another thing you don't really get in the movie, but it is in the book. Gimli, of course, is absolutely terrified, and he's the one who should be most at home underground. So he he has to literally drag himself over the threshold of the door, and eventually, you know, he follows, but it's very much against his liking. And everybody else, uh, not only are they deathly afraid, but their horses are deathly afraid. And even, again, another thing in the book, it says it's only by Aragorn's will that they manage to get themselves and their horses all the way through. The sheer terror of it must have been absolutely mind-numbing and blood-curdling, and so that's why it makes it to number five on the list. Now on to number four, we're getting to some good stuff. So for number four, I actually have a tie. Uh, it's kind of a cop-out, but maybe not quite so much. Uh, two dragon slayings, one of them from the Silmarillion, one of them from The Hobbit, of course. Bard kills Smaug in The Hobbit, and if you haven't read The Hobbit and you've only seen the movie, please go read the book. It's so much better. He has a regular bow with a regular arrow, which is, is said to be possibly forged uh, under the mountain, the Lonely Mountain. And in that sense, it may be special, but it's, you know, he's not firing this, you know, six foot long spear, essentially, at an open mouth. He's shooting a regular sized arrow, however long that would be, aiming for the one missing scale in Smaug's chest that Bilbo had noticed. And that's what's infuriating, infuriating about the movie because it goes to all this trouble to point out, oh, look, he is missing a scale. Look, there's a weak spot. And then he shoots him in the mouth with the black arrow in the movie. Really stupid. Anyway, other dragon slaying is Turin killing the dragon Glaurung in the children, uh, the story of the children of Hurin, Hurin in the Silmarillion. Turin and the dragon Glaurung have a very nasty relationship. The, at some point, Glaurung... Uh, leads the attack against the kingdom of elves where Turin is living and as a result he loses the love of his life who is the princess of that kingdom this is a going theme men falling in love with elf princesses uh, but he loses her he tries to follow her and rescue her and then gets misled by Glaurung and then Glaurung also messes with his sister at some point unknown to Turin there's all kinds of stuff that Glaurung does that messes up Turin's life, and he finally gets revenge after the style of Sigurd in Old Norse legend. Sort of a little bit different. Sigurd dug pits, hud, hud, yeah, I can't talk, hid in a pit and stabbed the dragon he was attacking from underneath within the pit. Easy to do, relatively speaking. 
Turin actually had to climb down into a chasm through which a rap through which rapids were running, and then climb back up to the point where he thought Glaurung would cross the river. And he actually had two companions. One of them chickened out. The other one fell to his death because the climb was so dangerous. So it's impressive just because he managed to actually do the climb. But it's also impressive because when he finally gets the dragon, he's the dragon Glaurung rides so much that he pulls the sword right out of Turin's hand. And yet he still doesn't fall. And then he finally gets back up, finds Glaurung, you know, in his death throes and, you know, starts getting all haughty about the fact that he killed him and that leads to some issues that I don't want to spoil if you haven't read the story but you know he kills a dragon literally single-handed I mean he just takes his sword and he sticks it up the guy's belly so that's a really impressive feat. Bards is impressive because of the skill required to shoot in the one soft spot in Smaug's belly. This one is impressive just for the sheer physical abilities you'd have to have. So that's number four tie. Now we're getting to the really good stuff. No list would be complete without Frodo getting to Mount Doom, and that's why it's at number three on my list. Now, you'd think it would be number one, but trust me, the next two are pretty awesome. Frodo getting to Mount Doom with the ring is one of the most impressive feats of anybody in the Middle-Earth, or, you know, Tolkien's universe broadly, uh, in or out of Middle-Earth. It's hugely important, obviously, but it's also something that you wouldn't expect anybody to be able to do. Very few people would be able to do it. In fact, in one of his letters, Tolkien said if Frodo had had any more native power, you know, if he had been something more like Gandalf or Elrond or Galadriel, he would have had enough power to make use of the ring such that he wouldn't probably have been able to resist taking it for himself before that. But if he had been any less, he wouldn't have been able to make it all the way to Mount Doom. He would have failed before then. So he's kind of a perfectly suited character to make it all the way to Mount Doom. And he has to survive attacks by Nazgul, Shelob stinging him, and being captured by orcs, and extreme hunger and thirst while he's in Mordor, and all these other really horrible things he has to go through to finally make it there, all while resisting the draw of the ring. So... It's absolutely insane if you stop and think about the absolute torture he must have been going through, not only physically, but mentally to resist the ring all that time. So that's why it makes it to number three. Now, like I said, the next two, they're really big, so don't fault me for putting this one down at number three. So let's see what we got. Number two, Elendil and Gilgalad kill Sauron. Yes, again, if you have not read the book and only seen the movie, spoilers, Sauron doesn't die when Isildur cuts the ring off his hand. In the book, Isildur cuts the ring off his hand after he's already dead. Think about that one for a minute. Elendil, Isildur's father and the king of men, and Gilgalad, the last king of the elves, the last high king of the elves. There's really no kings that can be called high kings after that. The only kings are kind of like petty kings of, Sin or of the Grey Elves. I'm talking about the Noldor, the ones that came back from Valinor. He's a descendant of those elves, and that's why he's the last High King. He is Elrond's boss, essentially, in the War of the Last Alliance. And he and Elendil take it on themselves to fight Sauron on the slopes of Mount Doom. And they fight him, and all three of them die in the process. The two of them manage to kill Sauron, but both of them die as a result, because he's obviously more powerful than either of them. So you've got a mortal human 
and although he's a very powerful moral human, he's, you know, of pure Numenorean blood, uh, and you've got a very powerful elf, but they're fighting Amaya. I mean, Sauron's a very powerful, you know, lesser angel, but a very powerful one nonetheless, and he's wielding the ring, so he obviously has a huge advantage over either of them single-handedly, but together they both manage to bring him down, and that's pretty awesome. So, what in the world could top that? Mm, number one coming right up. So my pick for number one in the feats achieved by Tolkien's characters is the one-on-one -on -one duel between Fingolfin and Morgoth in the Silmarillion. Now again, if you haven't read the Silmarillion, there's obviously some spoilers here, but Fingolfin at one point is the High King of the Noldor. Originally it's Feanor, he gets killed, and Fingolfin takes up the High Kingship of the Noldor Although some of them, especially Feanor's uh, sons, don't really particularly like the fact that he's the High King because they want to keep things under their rule because they're the ones that are going after the Silmarils. It's their family heirloom. So, but anyway, at some point, one of the many battles that takes place between the elves and Morgoth, Morgoth actually achieves a pretty significant victory. There were a few battles before that where he would try to break out and never really got too far with that, but in one battle he finally achieved enough of a victory that it was pretty clear that the elves were never going to have a final victory against Morgoth by themselves. And in fact, the devastating loss was so bad that Fingolfin, who was the High King, in a rage, rode single-handed to the gates of Morgoth's realm, banged on the door, and basically called him a coward and told him to come out and fight. Morgoth, of course, was a coward. He didn't want to come out and fight, but because he didn't want to look like a coward in front of all of his uh, lesser uh, subjects, went out and fought Fingolfin. Now, you would think that a person of the power level of Morgoth would have been able to squash an elf king pretty quickly, um, especially because Morgoth is he's on the level of the Valar. He is a Valar. I mean, he's, he's one of the greatest, he's the greatest, actually, of the Ainur. But because of the way he had expended so much of his own power in trying to maintain control over his servants and creatures that, you know, did his bidding, his power level was decreased enough that Fingolfin actually manages to fight him pretty well for a while. Uh, Fingolfin manages to wound him seven times before Morgoth finally kills him. And he mainly kills him because Fingolfin is getting, getting so tired that he eventually trips because he loses his balance and he's wearing too much armor, and then he gets squashed by Morgoth, who just steps on his neck and crushes him. But imagine that. I mean, you've got an elf fighting the most powerful being short of the god figure in the Lord of the Rings universe, and actually comes out looking pretty good. I mean, that's a pretty impressive feat. So that's why that makes it to my number one spot. So what do you think? Did I miss any major feats that should have been involved here? I left out a couple that may seem obvious. Gandalf fighting the Balrog seems like it ought to be a pretty good one, but they're essentially on an equal footing. They're both Maiar. Uh, they're both the same class of angel, so I didn't want to include that. I also didn't include Samwise killing Shelob because Shelob really does most of the work. Sam just holds his sword up, and then Shelob squashes down and punctures herself, basically. So... I left a couple of those out for those reasons. There's other ones I could have listed. Uh, in fact, honorable mention, speaking of Balrogs, Glorfindel, who, again, if you haven't read The Lord of the Rings, you wouldn't even know who he is unless you read The Silmarillion, uh, 
uh, in the escape of the refugees from Gondolin, the uh, with the whole Arendil story and the Silmarillion, Glorfindel actually fights off a Balrog who tries to ambush the escapees and takes down the Balrog single-handed. Now, he also dies in, in the fight. Uh, I think they both tumble off a cliff, basically, much like what Gandalf does in The Lord of the Rings, sort of. But that's, you know, there's an honorable mention for you if you were looking for that one somewhere. I think that's pretty impressive by itself, but it's not as impressive as, obviously, some of these others are. So, if you have any other ideas for things that I should have put in here, please comment below. If you think I should have changed the order up, feel free to comment as well. Like I said, some of these are really hard to peg because it's hard to, I mean, so many of them are different. Some of them are combat, some of them are just endurance, some of them are skill, so it's hard to pick. But those are my thoughts. If you like this kind of stuff, please like, share, and subscribe to the channel. Or if you don't want to subscribe, you can also follow me at Twitter at JRRTLore and keep up with all the videos I release. So until next time, this is the Tolkien Geek signing out for the Tolkien Lore channel. Namadieh.